Welcome to the fifth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. If you want more information about the initiative, visit betternews.org. More and more newsrooms are discovering that diversifying their coverage to better represent and engage the community they cover is not only the right thing to do, it's also necessary if they wish to remain relevant and sustainable. Gabrielle Jones is the Vice President of Content at Louisville Public Media. She and Ellen Oost wrote a report for Better News about how Louisville Public Media shifted from just reporting news about black people to making news for and with them. Gabrielle, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Okay, so first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself, Gabrielle. Where are you from? What got you interested in media and uh, what led to your current role at Louisville Public Media. Yes, well, I'm one of those people who always wanted to be a journalist. I grew up primarily in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and when I was five years old, my nickname was Patty Burns, which was the longtime anchor on the local CBS newscast there. So I think people knew from a young age that I asked a lot of questions, and so they kind of gave me that identity, and I leaned right into it, so something that I've always wanted to do. I've spent my journalism career in public media, so I started my journey at the station in Richmond, Virginia, which is a joint licensee of PBS and NPR licensee and is now called VPM. That name switch happened while I was there, and it was WCVE before that. Then I had the privilege of working at KERA in Dallas, Texas, as their audience and digital editor, and that's where I've spent a lot of my journey in the newsroom is as an audience editor and a digital editor, but I've also worked a bit with fundraising teams, with email marketing in a more general sense and events. So I always say I'm the journalist that's a business lady in a different way than a lot of other journalists are. And what brought me to Louisville Public Media was really a sort of reformulating of the DNA of the structure of the company here and a rethinking about the way that departments and teams work together and a desire to break down silos and have more communication across the board. So my boss, our president and CEO, Stephen George, had this vision to create a, a suite of vice president positions that would help support the company long-term. And among those was a single person who could oversee content and look at it strategically from all angles. We are fortunate here to offer more than just news. We have two music stations, one that's all classical music and one that's AAA. We also have a podcast team that's scrappy but mighty and puts out a suite of products, including our podcast incubator program, which I'm very proud of and are really thinking about events in a robust way. And in addition to our local reporting, also have a specialized investigative team. So we really wanted to think holistically across content. How could we be working together better as an organization? And I was very much drew to that mission and that idea as a digital editor. It was a lot of the de facto work that I was doing that people don't think about because when your primary medium is internet versus radio as opposed to a lot of other traditional public news outlets, you're thinking about, well, I need to post stuff on social. Does the marketing team hold the keys to that? Like I need to communicate with them and get them to buy in trust for me. And I want to do this special project. So like who on the underwriting team, can I 
get to win favor from so that I already have funding for the project that I want to do. So a lot of those skills that sort of just built up over time and was very captivated by both the opportunity to do that and the space and time in which the opportunity presented itself. It was right on the heels of Breonna Taylor's killing here in Louisville and the over 100 days of protests that happened here. And the community was very much at this sort of crossroads of, are we going to keep the promises that have been made to Black people in this community about equality, about changes and barriers around structural racism and other issues that have systemically and historically plagued this community? And I just thought, you know, I'm a bit of a religious person and I thought there's just no way that God brought me the opportunity to go to this place in this moment and did not intend for me to do it. So I was very much drawn here to Louisville Public Media. Well, I was going to ask you what drew you to public media in general, but, uh, you know, you seemed like whatever the particular reason, you're in the right place at the right time, or at least, you know, that's what you feel and that's what you uh, believe you're doing. I think a lot of us have sort of this perception of what public media is. And what you described was very sort of wide in scope and it and touches on lots of different things, you know, online podcasts, different broadcast stations. Before we start talking about some of the changes that have been implemented, what traditionally had been uh, Louisville Public Media's sort of place in the community? Well, I joined LPM right on the hills of big sort of expansion of our newsroom. The newsroom grew by, I think, five positions, if you include mine, right before I came. So we had just rallied the community here around this expansion of local news so that we could add additional beats to the newsroom. Among them were business and development and race and equity, really thinking about positioning some of the beats around teams in the newsroom. So we formed a city team that includes local politics, that race and equity beat and that business beat. And we really were spurned to do this here, even though it preceded me to fill a lot of gaps in the marketplace that were caused by contractions at the local newspaper. You know, like a lot of other mid-sized and small cities, it's a one paper town here at this point in history. And that paper has, you know, contracted a lot and had to contract beats and is owned by a larger conglomerate that helps bolster content in some ways, but pulls out local content in other ways. So what we were really thinking about as an organization prior to me coming here is how could we fill in those gaps within the community and, and kind of make sure people are getting access to the news and information that they need. And it's not something that I haven't heard before where the local public media station has suddenly realized, you know, they're the only game in town or, you know, maybe one of two games in town and that there's an opportunity here to sort of leverage your experiences in broadcasting to the community and building a relationship there, but then also fostering maybe new audiences through things like events that you mentioned and, you know, changing the focus of, of your news. So let's talk a little bit about the report you wrote for Better News. What was the situation that you were facing and, you know, what were you trying to change? Yeah, the major center point of the sort of paradigm that we found ourselves in is to be experiencing what a lot of the country was experiencing around calls for equity and changing of dominant narr narratives in a really kind of hyper-focused or heightened up way. You know, this space, even though being not 
one of the largest cities in the country was the home of Breonna Taylor. So sort of as a microcosm of racism and movements around it, like Black Lives Matter and other protests and advocacy movements, it was very much at this center point. So we were very much in a community, in a space and time where people, for lack of a better phrase, had to put up or, or shut up. You know, when I first moved here to Louisville, it was very evident to me that there were lots of Black Lives Matter signs and businesses that I passed in a different way than some of the other cities that I visited or lived, or I was living in Dallas at the time, other cities I lived in at the time, where the public was really saying, like, it's time for you to outwardly step up and show us that you're here for equality, that you're here for fairness, that you're here for equity, and that your organization, whether it's a private business or a government entity or a nonprofit, is going to be devoted to that and on the side of that. And I think that that was a very real thing. And all of that was sort of happening in the midst of LPM as an organization having, in the years preceding 2020, really starting to think very carefully and thoughtfully about equity, especially internally for its staff and team, you know, starting to really make gains to diversify the staff, overhauling the hiring process to make it more equitable, you know, doing a salary review and thinking about how people are paid equitably, changing policies around family leave and things like that that are even outside of racial equity. So thinking about racial equity, gender equity, and ability in these ways internally and really creating these structures so that the company had a really good culture and really thoughtful and intentional way about serving employees equitably. And I think that that sort of came to this point right when we were in this movement as a, as a country happened to co-align perfectly right with where LPM was really ready to take some of that work external. So sort of we built up the internal processes and mechanisms to have an equitable workplace. And now we want to double down on making sure that that shows up in our content and our coverage. Even before 2020 and sort of before the movement of this initiative, LPM had started tracking sources and all of its stories. And we do that not just within the newsroom, but across the board on the music stations. We track the number of artists of color that we play and women that we play. Um, in the classical space, it's composers of color and women in particular, and really setting bitch marks and metrics around that. So we were sort of very much positioned in a place to really start to double down on this work and experiment with it in any way that we can to better reach and better connect with our community. And it's very much at the heart of something that the leadership here believes in from the top down and that all the staff and employees believe in as well from the bottom up. So that sort of mission alignment is really centers all of us here. So not to pick on public media, because that's not what this question is going to be about, but you've been in public media a while. If you, you, know, you go back a couple of decades and you think about what the perception of a public media audience was, it, it wasn't necessarily diverse. And as I said earlier, I, you know, this is not the first time that, I, that I've heard a public media station not only stepping up to sort of fulfill a news coverage role, but also taking a look at its makeup and the way that it sort of traditionally covered the community that it was in, as well as the community that was supporting it. Was that something that you were kind of aware of at the other jobs that you were in in public media, that there was this sort of shift going on across the industry? 
Oh, 100%. You know, since I've started my public media journey, I think that there's sort of been some version of traditional and enshrined public media leaders waking up, looking at the demographic makeup of the country and realizing that like the numbers were not in their favor in the long run. And it's interesting. I think that we often think of traditional public media as this sort of egalitarian thing, right? That it's free for everyone. You don't have to pay for it. It's on radio, a device that most people have access to for little or no cost. And so it's like, oh, it's for everybody. But like, you know, that's for the longest time people were able to sort of use those ideas to say that this is made for everybody. It's intended for all Americans. But the reality is that, you know, all of the weight traditionally in public media has been put into drive time shows, right? Shows that come on in the morning and shows that come on in the evening. And when do those shows come on? Those shows come on when people are commuting to work. What sort of people commute to work in their cars? People who live in suburban areas that have to drive into urban areas to work are the people who commute back and forth in their cars, right? Primarily during those morning hours and primarily during those evening hours. And I'd even add another layer that the people who spend the most time doing that are people who are in large cities where there's a lot of traffic and therefore they spend a lot of time during those morning drives and those evening drives during back and forth in their car. And if you look at that picture of it, you'd say, hmm, that demographically kind of resembles a certain type of person, right? That doesn't necessarily sound like everybody. So I think that, you know, getting back to some of the original roots, particularly of national public radio of NPR, if you look at it, was this idea of really upending some of the stereotypes that were held in the news industry and really making a product that felt a little bit more like it was for all Americans. And I think that that's definitely something that's been triggered within the public radio industry in the last 10 years, definitely. And that I see from station to station that I've worked at. And when I talk with colleagues and people around the system, something that I've found unique and that drew me to LPM particularly is the real belief and desire to be not only of service to this community, you know, that sort of shifting to a mission orientation, which I think most public media stations have, but the real like imperative that the public media station as a public resource, like has a duty to be reparative of the harms that have been done to marginalized people in the past. And here in our community, when you look at like demographics of marginalized people, you know, Black Americans are definitely the largest, most marginalized group in this particular community that has been devoid of service in this way for a long time. It's fascinating because once you start shifting your focus and you start covering a different audience, you begin to take on the causes and the, you know, obviously the interests of that audience. And, you know, if there are problems in the community, you're going to be covering it from that perspective. You're going to be involved in, in engaging those people. And then at the same time, you're, you're going to opportunities to, to show good things going on in the community, which we don't always see in news organizations about diverse audiences. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the story you told about realizing that who the core audience was and how the radio programming was structured for people in their cars, how did you turn that around? You know, how did you target those people who were not in their cars, who, who had different types of jobs and different types of schedules? Yeah, I think regardless of what type of content you're making, I think that the first thing to think about is who is the target audience for your content. And I think that that sounds like sort of 
like almost like I'm skating your question, but that's really the space where it starts. You know, I think when we talk about social media and digital products, people think a lot about platforms and reaching people on whatever platform they are. But for some reason, it can be a little hard for us to like translate that to more legacy platforms or going back in time, right? So it's sort of like, who are you trying to reach and where are they? So if you start from the mindset of the people we primarily reach are these people who are in their cars for this time of day in 2020, you know, that shifted a little bit. And now these people are on their smart speakers or in their home streaming for this time of day because they're used to being able to do that in their cars in the past. So we're looking for not those people, right? So where are those people at? If you're not in your car, where are you? Are you on the bus? Are you walking? Do you work not a white collar job that starts at nine and ends at five? Like, you know, maybe you work at a local restaurant or somewhere else where you do shift work that doesn't necessarily align with that. And how can we connect with and, and find those people? And then for us in particular, we knew very much just demographically looking at our audience, you know, and with the goal of being representative of the community in our audience that we were not. So it was very easy for us to say, if you look at the number of black people in this community that we are serving, like those who are listening to us, we are far under indexing for that. So what we need to start with is a conversation with people in this community who share that identity and find out you know, how it is that they consume news and what they think is missing from the news media landscape. So how did you do that? What forms was it? I, I know that in some places have tried things like they'll have somebody show up and set up a mobile newsroom or something or be at a like a fair or a like a government meeting and making themselves available to people to just walk up to or, or to come and talk to the, the staff. So LPM had had a history of tabling at events, and that's something that we've stepped up of being at community events and being out in the community and had even done sort of a project in the past that was very much centered around being out in the community and asking people questions and thoughts about news and news habits and like bringing that information back. But that never turned out to be quite as concrete and actionable as we wanted. So to really start off this process, we were number one, fortunate to have two things in our favor. The first was being a part of UNC's Table Stakes program. And then I will add to that, that I coming here right as we were starting UNC's Table Stakes program had just finished Pointer's Table Stakes program at another station. We also had the, the benefit of somebody who was a two-time Table Stakes grad, which is another level of understanding sort of the, the shared language that you get out of that program that helps you implement the tools that you have. And then we had this other layer on top of that of having a grant from Google's news initiative that we had applied for. And that grant was very much specifically geared toward research and finding out what Black communities wanted to see from news creators. You know, that was sort of the thing that was in it for Google to sort of fund this work, right? Like what they get out of the work in addition to helping to fund news in a community is knowledge and insights into sort of news consumption habits that they can use to help them. So we took that funding that we had and some of the tools that we were learning from table stakes to do some focus grouping. This was a little less formal than traditional focus grouping. We did use both an outside company to recruit people and compensate them for their time and to facilitate the groups themselves. They weren't sort of like behind the glass focus groups where people were having these weird sterile conversations and we were just looking at them through the glass. We had a few people from the newsroom 
participate in these open discussions. We targeted Black people in this community with a wide range of ages. We were just looking at adults, so they were between like 21 and 65, and really had an open discussion with them where we not only asked them questions about sort of their news habits, their awareness of us and what they'd like to see, but also just allowed them to drive the conversation about what's going on in their community, what news media outlets are getting wrong in their communities, and even like what larger institutions are getting wrong in their communities that news media outlets help support and feed into. So there were some very enlightening discussions and we got some very actionable things from there. And the other benefit to this method was we were able to take feedback that we got from the first sessions and create different products and bring it back to these same group of people and have them react to it and say, like, would you enjoy this? Is this on target with what you were were talking about before? What have been some of the successes in this effort and what have been some of the less than successful things? Yeah, I want to start with the failures because I think that there's so much to be learned in a failure and there's so much to be learned from having preconceived notions. So when we started our journey of table stakes and focus group work, when I came into the company, the prevailing idea was like, we need to lean into email. We want to create some sort of email products. Like we know that that's where engagement happening happens and that's how you move people down the funnel, you know, for lack of a jargony word, that's how you move people from just knowing about you to like being known to you, giving you their email address and interacting with you to like donating to you or volunteering with And that sentiment is not wrong at all, but that sentiment does not apply to a marginalized population that you've done a poor job of serving, right? So I sort of knew immediately when I came into the room and was hearing from my new colleagues, we're going to start this email product. I was like, that's not what we're going to hear from people. And we're going to hear from people that they watch TV news and that they don't want your email product. And we very much immediately sort of in the first session heard loud and clear from the individuals that we talked to. And we did focus groups in sort of like three different groups in each round. So we talked to three discrete groups of people, had three separate conversations with each round of these. And we immediately heard from all three conversations that they weren't super interested in an email product right away. Another assumption we had that sort of went along with this that the company was moving toward at the time was like, maybe we should phase out our emphasis on Facebook, right? Audiences there have always been large, but you know, the algorithm changes 20 million times and reach has gone down. You know, when you look at particularly Facebook and Twitter together, especially Twitter, and you're looking at clicks, from Twitter to the website, like Twitter's driving barely any traffic, Facebook's driving some good traffic, but the numbers like don't necessarily go up because of the platform. They just kind of go up because of the news cycle and the topic of the conversation. And, and maybe we should lean out from Facebook. And then we had these first conversations and we asked everyone, when you hear about something that happens in your community, what's the first thing you do? And they say, go to Facebook to see who's talking about it. Literally the first thing they said. Now, it wasn't go to Facebook and see what the local TV news or the local paper or LPM has to say about it, but it was see what people in our community are saying about it. And often they might say, well, so-and-so said this in their news report, or here's a link to a news report that said this. So I think that we in the news media often like think of ourselves, especially in American like independent news, as these gatekeepers of information and that 
people didn't have mechanisms for getting this. And we forget people had mechanisms for getting this information before we had this infrastructure. Like people will always trust and rely on each other in their communities. So for us, it became a question of what can we do to become a part of that conversation, right? To be trusted and valued by people in this community, to be in the space where they're having this conversation, which was on Facebook for a lot of them, and to be serving them and be a part of that conversation as opposed to like trying to invite them to a new pond or like be a keeper at a gate that they needed to walk through. It was about shifting your mindset to we need to walk through their gate. They don't need to walk through ours. Yeah. And it's so freaking basic. Once you get into the sort of the digital mindset and you realize go where the audience is. So many cliches in here. The idea of uh, like, if you have a hammer, every every problem looks like a nail. We're going to use the hammer because that's what we have. We, we're going to use newsletters because that's what we have. Or somebody else that has a completely different audience is succeeding in that and you're not. So what advice would you give to other newsrooms that are trying to figure out how to make news for and with you know more diverse audiences, with Black and Latino audiences? The first thing is that you need to listen to what the people that hold these identities in your community have to say. I like to say people can't be wrong about what they want. They don't always give you exactly the right information for you to go out and make that right away, but they can't be wrong about what they want. So rather that's doing focus groups like we did, putting together a survey yourself, which is something else that we did. And we just use SurveyMonkey to send that out, holding a mobile or open newsroom where you allow people to come visit you in a public space and talk with them about the news that they want using the Harkin tool or making your own Google form or other form embed to ask people questions. You need to ask people directly what it is that they wanna see or that's missing for them and not assume that you have all the answers. That's a great bit of advice. I've been talking to Gabrielle Jones about the report she co-wrote for Better News about Louisville Public Media's initiative to grow trust and reach a more diverse audience. Gabrielle, thanks for coming on Better News. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.